0: Well, we finished Simple Gospel, the Simple Gospel series, but we haven't finished preaching the gospel, right? That goes until Jesus comes, until he comes back for us. So our work is not finished, but at the tune of 104 souls, let's give God praise. Come on. Hallelujah. So some of them rededicated their lives, and some of them gave their lives to the Lord for the first time. And if that's you, I just want to remind you that you must get connected. You must be discipled. You must... Allow someone to pour into you. So the First Step class on Monday, come back on Wednesday. And whatever is happening around here, make sure you get connected. And if you get a phone call from somebody, answer the phone and say, hey, yes, this is me, and yes, I will. Where do you want me at? You want me to come on Wednesday? You want me to come on Monday? I'll be there. Because that is where you're going to grow. And you don't want to just receive the lord it's kind of like in the in the tabernacle of moses you hang around in the outer court and you never get to the inner court we want you to move from the outer court to the inner court where you are discipled in the lord amen and you're able to stand in jesus so that takes time that takes somebody pouring into you okay so we pray that you will do that um we want to give our senior pastor and first lady a great big hand today We just honor them for all that they're doing and their submission to the Lord and their obedience to the Lord to take this time of sabbatical so that they can get renewed and get refreshed and get revived. Uh, I believe that God has given them a great work to accomplish in the city of Bridgeport. And I'm honored to be a part of that. They have given us the responsibility of stewarding this vision while they're away. And I want to say thank you to every last one of you. Amen. Come on, you give yourselves. Come on. Thank you to every last one of you who uh, got your five cards together. I mean, your five names on your card to pray for people. I want to say thank you for all of you who have just come together and we're working this thing together. Somebody say, we are better together. You believe that? I know that. We are better together because God has given us all great work to accomplish, and it's a privilege and an honor to be alive today in the dispensation that we're in. It's the greatest dispensation, I believe, since the beginning of time, and uh, we're going to talk more about that this morning. So I want you to take your phone out, if you will, and share. Let's spread the gospel. Let's share the word of God on your Facebook or on your YouTube. Let's do that. So we are beginning a series on grace and yeah, let's give God a hand clap for that. A series on grace. I love Pastor Lewis because he so strategically mapped out everything before he left. And um, I can say that it is reaping benefits. Would you say that? Amen. Yes, so he is really a phenomenal leader and I honor him today. So the topic of grace is one of my favorite top topics in the Bible. And when I came to understand and know what true grace is, I was liberated, and my life has never been the same again. So there are many phrases that we have with the word grace in it. One of them is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is a scripture that God used at a very difficult time in my life. And you probably say, "Girl, boy, you, you go through a lot of difficult times. Well, <laughs> keyword go through. Hallelujah. So God has got me on the other side. Thank God. And I know I'm not alone in this place. Thank you, Lord. So this was in 2005. My mother was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer in December of 2004. And in March... 2005, she went home to be with the Lords. We had no idea that she was that ill. She was saying she had a cold, um, and one day my sister went in the room and she could barely move, so we rushed her to the hospital. Long story short, we found out that she had this lymphoma cancer. Three months, she was gone. And when, the day that she died, I ended up bringing her home for her last month, and on the last day that she lived, I was um, getting ready to go to Bible study and she said I don't want to be alone and I said okay I'll cancel Bible study I'll stay home and she would sleep in the therapeutic chair she didn't like to sleep in the bed so I slept in the bed with her that night and um, she woke up in the middle of the night and she was screaming and she was gasping and I was like oh god what's wrong and um, so long story short I called the ambulance they came and she. I, they sat her in the wheelchair, because I told them, please don't lay her down. So they sat her in the wheelchair, and they lifted her out of the house. And so when they lifted her out of the house, I had a, an appointment that morning, and I said, okay, I'll meet you at the hospital. I'll, I'll, I'll follow the ambulance because I needed my car. So I followed, and as I followed, they started slowing down. I'm like, why are you slowing down? And then when we got to the hospital, and while she was in there, she just kind just, of you know, went down. And I'm thinking, I was like beeping my horn, I told you not to lay her down. <laughs> so when we get to the hospital, they say, we're trying to revive her. And I said, revive her? What do you mean revive her? So they pulled her out, brought her into the room, and that was the last day. And from that point on, for about four months, I felt this gripping hole in my stomach, a hole in my heart. And for the most part, I felt, for the most time, I felt like something was like slipping out of my hand. I don't know if you have, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, I don't know. But it was like a sensation that was slipping out of my hand. And so, because I felt like she just slipped away. No goodbye, no, this is what I want you to do. She did tell me, like two weeks while she was in hospital, she told me exactly how she wanted her funeral. And I was like, no, forget it, You, you know, you're not dying. And um, so anyway, so I, at least she did that. But I had no idea because every time she would go to the hospital, she would come back. Like one time we were in the hospital in the emergency room and the doctor was standing over her bed and said, um, well, your mom is paralyzed. She had a stroke. She's going to be handicapped from, the, from you know, her arm down. And my mom woke up, sat up and said, who are you talking about? she said I can move my arm and I'm like oh my god like (laughs) wow so that was in my mind so that's the reason why I didn't get in the car and I said I'll just go to my meeting and I'll come back to the hospital well that didn't happen that way so here I am for those four months about saying I should have could have wished all this stuff anybody know what I'm talking about should have, could have, would have. I wish I would have gotten the ambulance. I, then I could have told them, don't sit her down. I wish I would have woke up before she woke up and did whatever, or I wish I had insisted, you know, all this stuff. And so I was going through for months, But but I would pray and ask God and say, Lord, I need help because I just feel like, not that it was my fault, but like I missed an opportunity or something. Does that make sense? And so I just began to pray and ask God, and this scripture kept coming up, but one day it came up, and it became rhema. It became alive, and not only did it just, you know, I read it off of the pages, but it seemed like it walked into my heart, (laughs) and the scripture says, my grace is sufficient for you, My power is made perfect in weakness. I was weak, but his power on that day, but it took a process. So I I didn't stop praying, I didn't stop reading, but the word of God came alive on that day. How many of you know the word of God must come alive? It must be rhema, it must become rhema to us, otherwise it will not work. So my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. All of us go through things that seem impossible when we're in the thick of it all. So when I went through with my mother, he brought me out on the other side where now I'm able to look back. I don't have guilt. I don't have shame. I don't have all of that because the grace of God cleansed my heart from all of that. And I know that, you know, there was a great relationship. I had the privilege and honor of serving her and honoring her in her last days and just blessing her. So I thank God for that time. And I believe that God just set that up so that that could happen for me. And um, today we're going to be talking about the greatness of grace. And our core scripture is found in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is this, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Verse 9 says, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the first point I want to bring out today is that the grace of god is matchless Hallelujah. did you know that every year on the third sunday in january people from all over culture from all cultures and backgrounds come together for world religion day I'm not saying i'm going to show up or anything but you know this is what happens in our world the day celebrates the commonality of the major faiths of the world it may surprise you to know that there are over 4,000 recognized religions in the world. Blows my mind. These religions consist of churches, congregations, faith groups, tribes, cultures, and movements. And even though there are so many, there are three quarters of the world's population that practice five major religions. That's Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism. Of these religions, Christianity has the most followers. According to recent statistics, out of the 7.9 billion people in the world, there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world, 1.6 billion followers of Islam, and 14.3 million followers of Judaism. So the Buddhists, how do they worship God? They make chants and they offer flowers and candles and incenses at a shrine. The Hindus, they kind of do the same thing to um, offer up things to their deity. Muslims, one of the key things for a Muslim is to turn to Mecca on Friday and turn and pray to their God, their God called Allah on that day. Or, and then for Jews, they pray three times a day, they say, and they recite the shama. For Christians, because there are so many different denominations under Christian, um, it could be all over the place, like uh, just all over the place. I'm not going to go into all of them. But uh, for the most part, we show up on Sunday, uh, we try to do good works, and we do everything we can to be nice and kind to people, right? So every man seeks out a better state of quality of life. Whether you seek religion for answered prayers, for wisdom, Aim to please God so he can bless you, or you pray ritual prayers, do good things to keep you from going to hell. The majority of all that is done is done to earn God's favor. Would you agree? God's grace is the foundation upon which the gospel message is built. And none of the religions, the religious acts that anyone does can compare to the grace of God. The grace of God is matchless. So since the beginning of time, man has sought after a higher being for salvation. Grace was in the mind of God before the beginning of time and grace is God's supernatural provision for man. Ephesians 2.8, it says, for by grace you have been saved. Can we say that? For by grace you have been saved. Let's say it again. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. 2 Timothy 1, 9, 10 says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and mortality and immortality to light through the gospel. So we owe our lives and all that we are to the grace of God, the sacrifice of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross and the work that the Holy Spirit does. But we mustn't skim over the last four words of the passage that I just read. Which says, before the beginning of time, God provided grace. So whether we like it or not, we are all hardwired to believe in a higher power. You know why? Because God put a piece of himself on the inside of us. And that's called eternity. We have a spirit that will live on throughout eternity. Because God is an eternal God. Even an atheist who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of God or any gods will have to admit that they owe their existence to a higher power. All of man's religion's attempts will never compare or measure up to the grace of God. You know why? Because it is matchless. Ephesians 2.8, let's look at it in the, trans, the Passion Translation. It says, for by grace you have been saved, by faith, nothing you did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Don't you love God? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So we do not have to work for the grace of god grace is free we can't work for it we can't earn it we can't bargain for it we can't do good works for it it is a gift from god how liberating and relieving is that i don't know about you but i spent a lot of my life trying to do good works to please god not just god but people people church people who you know we respected and we honored and we were always trying to do good, but somehow that good never seemed good enough. If you're raising a child and you're always telling that child, you know, they, they got to earn. Um, to be able to go outside they got to earn to be able to do something it's always earning and earning and earning and sometimes they never measure up so they don't get what they're looking for so most of the times they'll just say forget it I forget it I'll just do whatever I want to do and I'll just misbehave because I'm never going to be able to measure up to be able to get what you think I should get guilty (laughs) because that's how I was raised if you, if you do good, then you'll get good. But God is not like that. We don't have to earn salvation. We don't have to work for it. He already provided it. Woo! Our salvation is strictly given by the grace of God and the grace of alone. Grace is defined in Scripture as God's unmerited favor, It's due to his goodness that God bestows his favor upon mankind. It was the finished work of Christ that qualified us for this amazing grace. Without God's grace, salvation is completely impossible. That's why it's so important for us to understand how to operate in the grace of God. Salvation comes by grace through faith. This grace, he said, It has been lavished upon us, according to Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So this brings me to my second point which says God's abundant provision of grace, according to Romans 5.17. And this scripture just, for me, explains the entire Bible, the entire uh, history of God and man. It explains it for me. It says, for if by the trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, and we know that one man to be who? Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It was through God's judgment of one man, Adam, that sin and death found their way into his world, its way into this world, and passed upon every human, alienating us from God. So to understand the grace of God, it is essential we understand the difference between the law and grace. John 1 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law was given through a servant who was Moses, but grace was given and truth was given through the son of God. The law talks about what man ought to be, but grace shows us who God is. So the focus in the dispensation of grace, where Paul does such an eloquent thing on sharing on it throughout the entire New Testament, where he shows us that it is not by works and nothing of the law can save us. The law was only meant to bring us to Christ, but Christ was to take over from there giving his life, shedding his blood, paying the penalty for sin once and for all so that we can receive the grace of God that gives us the the power to walk out this Christian life. (laughs) Hallelujah. So the law talks about what man ought to be. Grace shows us who God is. So it takes the focus off of works and it puts the focus on who God is. The Old Testament is definitely law-focused, and the New Testament is absolutely grace-filled. Before God created mankind, he knew of our need to be rescued from sin. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not God's backup plan. It was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. God had this plan. It wasn't a last resort, or it wasn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, it was in the mind of God. Turn around and tell your neighbor, I was in the mind of God. It was in the mind of God. Absolutely everything that happened between Adam's first breath and Jesus' death was part of God's gracious plan to redeem mankind. Thankfully, however, it is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we find life and peace with God and purpose in life. So before he created us, before we were even put into our mother's womb, God knew us and he saw us operating in this grace. <laughs> it's kind of like to me, I know that I can't eat peanut butter without jelly, right? Right? or some fresh bread. So grace and faith are like peanut butter and jelly to me. They work together. Anybody like peanut butter and jelly? (laughs) I grew up on peanut butter and jelly, and when I went to Bible school, I ate it every single day. Still here, hallelujah. So Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk, in them. Genuine grace doesn't compromise God's holy standards, nor does it condone sin. It is the answer that gives people power to live glorious lives, zealous for good works. So it doesn't look for a license to sin. It's the power to overcome sin, His divine power, the scripture says, hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So the law condemns, but grace empowers. That's the difference between the law and grace. Point three, the greatness of grace is accessed through faith. According to Ephesians two eight and nine, for by here we go again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, no matter what religion you are, whether you're a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Muslim, uh, whatever, a Christian it is the grace of God that saves every last one of us. So even if I say I'm a Christian, if I don't operate and allow the grace of God to be appropriated in my life, then everything I'm doing is in vain and it's according to works. So the way for the Muslim to get to God is through the grace of God. The way for the Hindu to get to God is through the grace of God, which is given through the Lord Jesus Christ. The way for anybody who is working out their own salvation is through the grace of God. Because the Bible says, for by grace we have been saved. Not of ourselves, not of our works, so none of us can boast. So here's the thing. Faith doesn't move God. So God is not sitting on his throne waiting for us to conjure up enough faith to get him to do something. Now that blew my mind when I got the revelation on that. Because I've always heard that faith moves the heart of God. Well, that would be manipulative for us to be kind of, God would be on our puppet strings, don't you think? God's not on nobody's puppet strings. God has already preordained, predestined everything that we should already be. So how do we receive this greatness? It is through faith. For by grace are we saved through faith. So, so is faith trying to move the heart of God? No. Faith is taking the grace and the promises of God and faith in the promises of God. For instance, if God said you can be healed, I'm not asking God, heal me, heal me, heal me. I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for healing me. And because you did that, I receive my healing. Because he's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we over and over, instead of saying, God, give me, give me, give me, we need to be saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. because provision has already been made. He's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and he provided all the blood that he is ever going to shed for the remission of our sin. There is no more blood coming out of Jesus to, to redeem us or to atone for us, because he has already done it. So we are appropriating what he has already done. God has already provided grace It's faith that takes God at his word that causes grace to fill our lives. So listen to this. Faith moves things where they ought to be. Nothing we do can earn God's grace, but everything we do with our faith determines how grace will empower our lives. Let me say that again. Nothing we can do earns God's grace, but everything we do with our faith determines how grace will empower our lives so it's by grace through faith so my i think the greatest thing and the greatest message in the whole entire bible is for us to learn how to live in the balance of grace faith and holiness grace faith and holiness Failure to understand the necessity of both grace and faith working together has led to many problems. So many people emphasize God's grace to an extreme that it makes faith useless. Just doing anything and live in any kind of way, God's love is for you. No, that's not how God works because many times we'll say, just do anything and God will still love us. No, yeah, God loves us. <laughs> he, will, he will still love us. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he extended his love toward us. But why would you want to live in that zone? Why would you want to live in that place where you're trying to come up with ways that you can get by with what you need to get by with instead of receiving all the grace that God gives to cause you to overcome? Right? So we teach our children that they can be anything they want to be. That's true to a degree because here's how I believe that I can be anything I want to be but I only want to be what God wants me to be. Right? I'm a free moral agent. I could do anything and everything I want to do on this side of earth and we all know that. Started in the Garden of Eden. Adam committed high treason and Eve, they did what they wanted to do but the grace of God showed up in the garden, where God took them out of the garden so they would not eat of the tree of um, the, the, the tree of life, where they would live for out eternity in sin. But God showed forth His grace in the garden and provided. He said, "I will provide the seed that will crush and bruise the head of the serpent." right? So God was providing all along. He planned this thing out, and he carried it out. Thank you, Lord. Jesus came and carried it out. We can misappropriate God's love for his ways. That's why we say certain things and we think it's okay. But God's, even though God loves us, he has his ways. Moses knew his ways. That's why he was chosen to bring the law to the people. The whole Bible is about revealing God's plan for man to live in the balance of grace, faith, and holiness. So we are saved by grace, not by works. I don't care what religion you ascribe to. You're not getting into the kingdom of God by doing what you do. He said you must believe and receive. Because the scripture says he who receives the abundance of grace will rule and reign in this life doesn't it make life a little easier? I think it does. For me, it transformed my life and set me free. Because I would go before God with guilt. Oh, God, I'm so sorry I did this. I'm so sorry, I, you know. Yeah, we have to repent. But never felt like I was good enough. Well, guess what? The revelation is I will never be good enough. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that was good enough. That's why we need to receive and believe on Jesus Christ who brings us into our liberation with him. So God has done a thing that is unheard of among, um, among men. God has given his grace to men despite their cursing him, despite their rejecting him, despite their rebelling against him, despite their hostility toward him, despite their denial of him, despite their neglect of him, and despite their half-hearted commitment to him. Despite their worship of religion instead of him despite their false worship, despite their idolatrous worship, despite their trespasses, and despite their sins. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say we had to get it together before he would die. He died because we were sinners. And and while we are now living in the dispensation of grace, the grace of God is not just a New Testament concept. We can also see it in the Old Testament. So in my closing, I'm going to ask everybody to stand, if you will. In my closing, I want to read the scripture, Titus 2.11, that says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Not just some, not just a select group, not just the Jews. This is Paul, um, the author was saying, Therefore all men mankind have had salvation provided for them all of us it's been provided through Jesus Christ so we don't have to make up our own philosophy our own religion our own ways because many of us have done that and some of us might say I don't I don't practice any religion you do have a religion you have a way. You have a set philosophy that you have created in your own mind that separates you from the grace of God. It has appeared to all mankind have had salvation provided for them and extended toward them by God's grace, not by works, but by God's grace. But not all are saved. Why? Because not all people have mixed faith with what God has done for them by grace. I love the Bible. 66 books written over a period of thousands of years. It is the living word of God. And inside the living word of God, he shows us how he has planned for us to be in fellowship with him. And that is through the grace of God. That's through the grace of God, which gives us the power. So none of us have any excuse because he said he has given us all things, everything we need is in the grace of God that is explained in his word so that we can walk it out so that we can be victorious and so that we can become one in his word one in him and be that driving force in the earth that army in the earth that goes and gets the people that goes after the Muslim. That goes after the Christian even. Hello. (laughs) Some Christians say they're Christians. But they're far from the word of God. They're far from from operating in the grace of God. So we can become anything and everything we want to (laughs) be. But will you say, Lord, I only want to be who you created me to be? So whatever my plans are, however I conjured it up to think that this is right and this is how it should be and this is how it should go, are you willing to lay that down and say, I'll receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so that I can rule and reign? You're not going to do it without the grace of God. You can try hard and you can get on a crazy, vicious cycle. You can do it for three months Fall four months, fall back into that vicious, wicked, addictive cycle. But it is the grace of God that has appeared to all men. To all men. To all men, the scripture says. God's grace has appeared to all men the Jew, the Muslim, the Christian the Hindu men, And even you could name your own name, whatever you have called it, because there's 4,000 known religions. The greatest example in the Bible is of how Jesus showed the grace of God aside from him giving his life and pouring and lavishing us with grace is the woman who was caught in adultery. And I'm going to close and read that. It says, in John 8, 1 through 11, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd and they said, teacher, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, stone her. And they asked, Jesus, what do you say? They knew Jesus was different. However, they were trying to trip him up too. They were trying to trap him into saying something that, could, that they could use against him. But Jesus stood down, stooped down, and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned, In all your works, in all your trying, in all your good works, the Bible says it's just filthy rags in the sight of God. So let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away. (laughs) One by one. You know why? I think they got it that day. Like ain't nothing we could do here. <laughs> what Jesus is offering, what Jesus is explaining, we try to trip him up, but he tripped us up. It it reversed on us. And I love how Jesus does that over and over in the Bible. He reversed that thing. And he was able to tell that woman, "Woman, where are your accusers?" turn around and ask your neighbor where man, woman where are your accusers then I want you to look at yourself and say man, woman are you your accuser are you beating yourself up are you tearing yourself down because you feel like you're not measuring up to what you think God wants I'm telling you right now, you will never be able to measure up because it's only through the grace of God. But the grace of God causes us to live in the balance of grace, faith, and holiness. It is not a license to sin. It's a license for deliverance. It's a license for victory. And Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, well knew that that's what it would take. So let's take the focus off of the law, your law, and let's put it on the God who created us and the God who afforded us this grace. I call it the amazing grace. It's no coincidence. Pastor Lenny named the church Amazing Grace. You know why? Because he experienced that amazing grace. Because we experienced that amazing grace. And that man, I want to say his name is John Lewis. I hope it's right. But on the slave ship where he was bringing slaves back and forth to Africa, the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace was a slave trader but he experienced the grace of God. And later on in life, ended up denouncing his ways for what he was doing. He became liberated. You can be liberated today. Lift your hands right here in the presence of God. Father, we thank you today for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We thank you, Father, that you have provided for us in your word. We thank you that your word is living, it's sharp, quicker than any double-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit. So today, God, we want you to pierce the hearts who are walking in guilt and shame and feeling like they can never measure up. I thank you, Lord, that your word has set them free today because according to you, Jesus, you came for us just as we were. You became who we were, which is sin, so that we can become who you are, which is righteous. You have made us your righteousness. And with that, we rule and reign over our sin, over our circumstances, so we receive it. Now, lift your hands and receive. Maybe... Uh, you kind of got out of fellowship. Maybe you've never met the Lord and you're sitting here today saying, I need that grace. God, I want that grace. Save me today. Deliver me. That grace comes through Jesus Christ, the one who atoned for every sin that you have committed and will ever commit. Again, again, Let me put this disclaimer. This does not give us a license to sin. This gives, this empowers us to say, God, I love you so much that I will lay down my life, put aside what I think it should be or what I think it is to receive the life you have for me. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you, if you will, just raise your hand and we're going to pray with you because God's got something great for you today. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. We'll pray with you today. We will pray with you. Thank you, Lord. The person you're standing next to, ask them, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord? Ask them, have you received Jesus Christ? Tell them you can do that today. You can do that today. Is there one that has done that? You can do that today. That's the whole reason for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For he came to seek and save those who were outside of him, but he wants to bring you into his family. Is there one? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Let's all bow our heads together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. And Father, we just thank you because there is no good thing you withhold from us. And when we come into your presence, we come without the sense of guilt. We come without inferiority. We come without trying to bargain with you, to try to say, oh God, I won't do it again. We come just because... You have made it possible through the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus gives us access. So I pray today, Father, that each person in this house will leave here and take this word and be liberated and walk victoriously in the balance of grace, faith, and holiness, righteousness, so that we can be the people that sit on the hill, the city that sits on the hill, that we can be that army that draws people to you and not people away from you. I ask you that today, Father, in Jesus' name. We love you and we honor you. Amen. 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 Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah.